you are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors here with David Rommel, the host of Locked On Heat. The NBA Finals are set. We're getting game one between the Lakers and the Heat, David, on Wednesday. You are the Heat expert here on the network. You host Locked on Heat. I used to be your co-host at Locked on Heat. We have been waiting a long time for this, basically since 2014. Uh, I don't think that any... I don't think either of us expected that the next time that the Heat got to the Finals, it would be playing against LeBron James, who was at that point playing with the Lakers. This is... Just as a as a playoff run for the number five seed with the Heat has been incredible, but just I think this run in general, from where they were when LeBron left in the summer of 2014 and how pissed off Pat Riley was and the rest of that organization was, to now has been remarkable. It's kind of hard sometimes not to put that into consideration. Like I think Heat fans have been pretty spoiled uh, over the last 15 years of success. Maybe not quite as spoiled as say the Golden State Warriors fans or even you know prior to that the San Antonio Spurs fans because I mean obviously those fan bases had some pretty dynastic runs especially the Spurs I have to say even though you're covering the Warriors full time now but from a Heat fan perspective you know they they always expected the opportunity to be in the finals or be in contention and and Riley we trust and all those different things but they did go through a six-year gap there where, you know, there were seasons where they weren't very good. Uh, as much as we like to talk about Eric Spolster being a great coach and Riley's ability to build a team being, you know, second to none perhaps, they were in the lottery three times during that span. And it wasn't always uh, it wasn't always sunshine and roses for them. And so I, I think to be here, to be able to build this team the way they have, to have exceeded expectations, perhaps not their own, but external ones, has been so rewarding and to see this team be able to deal with the adversity of the Orlando bubble, to go through the roster changes that they did, to be able to work together and establish the kind of chemistry that they have. Absolutely. It's been a fun ride. I mean, we're, it wasn't that long ago that the heat were drafting Shabazz Napier because LeBron James tweeted about him and they (laughs) signed Josh McRoberts and Danny Granger because they, they thought in 2014, those guys would be good fits with LeBron James. And then LeBron, left for Cleveland, and then they were stuck with Josh McRoberts and Danny Granger. Uh, the Chris Bosh stuff, I mean, the blood clots with him and how, and his early retirement, missing this whole other part of Chris Bosh's career and what he could have done in the pace and space era NBA if he was out there shooting five or six three-pointers a game. Uh, you know, Dwayne Wade leaving for yeah. Chicago and then Cleveland and then coming back. Uh, and, and all these other things, Deion Waiters, James Johnson, Hassan Whiteside, like these bloated contracts, and then for them to suddenly get off of them uh, and and execute this sign-and-trade for Jimmy Butler, which was equal parts, you know, just skilled front office work and just for, you know, fortuitousness that, that Dwayne Wade was talking about the heat culture to Jimmy Butler in that Chicago locker room. I mean, you still have to pounce on those opportunities when they're presented to you. Uh, all of that. And then in these playoffs, where I think everybody would have understood that Jimmy Butler, and agreed, Jimmy Butler was the best player on the Heat, and it wasn't very close. But I think in this postseason, you can make an argument that Bam Adebayo as emerges maybe their best player. Uh, I think that's certainly a fair thing to say. Um, certainly their best, one of their best two, uh, and maybe the most impactful player in the postseason outside of LeBron James. And then mm-hmm. you've got the emergence of guys like Tyler Hero, who might be their third best player 
you know, as much due respect to Goran Dragic. I mean, he's been unbelievable at the end of these games. What and and everything they've done to get to this level, trading a second round pick in Josh Richardson for basically Jimmy Butler, moving Justice Winslow in the middle of the year to get Andre Gudal, who had that huge game six against Boston. Things have just worked out. And now they're at a point where this is, I know they're a five seed, but they are a legit competitor to the, the Lakers and LeBron James and Anthony Davis in these NBA finals. And so I thought with that, we can preview these finals by just asking each other and coming up with the five biggest questions or whatever, just the biggest questions we have. And each of us came up with five of our own for, this, for these NBA finals. Um, I want to throw it to you first, David. What is your number one question going into these finals as we preview the series? Well, it's an interesting one and probably not much to do with the on-the-court product, uh, as you can imagine coming from me. But one of the things that I'm thinking about, in addition to all the other storylines that are tied into this, one that kind of stands out to me, because I think it's been easy to tear down both in context of, you know, who's the greatest, who's who's better at what they do, et cetera, who's more uh, responsible for Miami's success during the Big Three era, but whose legacy has more writing on the, the outcome of this series? Is it Eric Spolstra or LeBron James? Mm. That's really great. Uh, I would still say it's probably LeBron James only because he is, as far as legacies are concerned, battling Michael Jordan and that's it, right? And so when you just think of everything that's at stake with that sort of argument, I still would say LeBron has the most at stake here, especially because he hasn't won yet with the Lakers. He needs to sort of justify that move. But uh, if he can get to four rings, he's just one away from Michael Jordan. He's probably realistically got a two or three year window. Like if he wins this year, I think the Lakers could, they they could win next year too. They could repeat. Um, But uh, the Eric Spolster question is really interesting because I'm, you and I have been talking about how great Spo is as a coach for years because we've seen it, right? Like a lot of people didn't watch those, um, 11 and 31 and then 31 and 11 heat teams, right? We did. We saw Spolstra get the most out of guys like Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson and Hassan Whiteside, right? Where other coaches couldn't do that sort of thing. We know what his credentials as a coach are, but I think people are starting to understand that at a national level. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, but I've been seeing stuff like, wait, Eric Spolstra is this Hall of Fame coach. We don't talk enough about Eric Spolstra as this Hall of Fame coach as if it's some sort of woke take. You and I have been had that we've had that take for five years now. I don't like how how is this news to anybody? Uh, and so maybe I, I think we'll just understand that Spolstra is going to get that credit just by taking this fifth seed to the finals. We're going to start talking about him already as a Hall of Fame coach, at least at a national level. Whereas even if he loses these finals, right, we're still going to be talking about Spo as a Hall of Fame level coach. Whereas with LeBron, he's got like all time legacy at stake. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of leaning in the other way, to be honest with you. I, I think you're right as far as when you consider legacies, rarely do you even think about coaches, like right? because coaches' successes are so tied to any given stretch where they they have to coach a really really great team. I mean, Phil Jackson only comes in and coaches the Lakers when they have Shaquille O'Neal and, and Kobe Bryant, or when they have a great cast of, of players like Paul Gasol, Lamar Odom, etc. Like, he's not going to go and coach, you know, a, a bad team. He's not going to go and coach the Sacramento Kings. How about that? You know, he's only going to make sure that he has any kind of success when he's coaching great, really well-built rosters. And, of course, he has a, a hand in maximizing that talent. But 
you know, when it comes to legacies, yes, you, you tend not to consider coaches. It's about players. I don't think LeBron's ever going to catch Michael Jordan in terms of championships. Uh, you know, the, the two-ring gap there, uh, right now it's a three-ring gap, but even if he was able to win it this year, it would still be insurmountable. I just don't see LeBron realistically challenging for three more titles in addition to this one over the rest of his career just because of all the X factors that always take place, whether like, I mean, the Lakers have quite honestly been very fortunate to avoid any kind of injury or anything like that. So given his age, given his productivity this season, I don't want to discount what he can do in the future because we've come to the point now where with LeBron, you never, you never want to say that he's not going to be a good player because he always continues to prove us wrong or whatever. Even when nobody ever thought he was the washed King, as he wants to say, either way, uh, he's, he's shown that he was still at an MVP type level. I just, I don't know that his legacy is going to really change much. It would be great as a story to say, well, he carried three teams or was a great player on three different franchises to win three different championships. That would be something that no player has ever done before, obviously. Yeah, and I, I don't, isn't that I, – I feel like you're almost making the opposite argument here where if you don't feel like he's ever – if he doesn't have that much of a window left and that the chances of him winning, you know, catching MJ or, or winning two more championships after this season, doesn't that make – doesn't that even put more writing on this NBA Finals series? Like, if this is maybe his last great chance to, to go ahead and win a Finals, if, you, if you're right and nobody should ever take these opportunities for granted, even if it's LeBron James and he's gone 9 to 9 of the last 10? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything else to accomplish for him at, that is going to be enough to change the narrative or the argument that Michael's the greatest. And even some people would say that Kobe's better because, uh, you know, he's won five rings and because he was the greatest Laker of all time. And LeBron is in his shadow perpetually. I I just, I don't think there's ever going to be enough for that. Whereas Spolstra, we're still hearing arguments that he's not a great coach, that he was only dependent on LeBron James' exceptional talent. If anything, that's a proof more, it's more proof of LeBron's already established legacy as opposed to Eric Spolstra that you know, Spo can only win with Dwayne Wade or can only win with LeBron James on his own. He can't, and and yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. To me, I think, I think he'll start to get that kind of consideration. I, Hall of Fame is undebatable at this point. I, yeah. I just think it's more about consideration with the all-time greats like Popovich, like Phil Jackson, like Riley, uh, like Red Auerbach, etc. I, I think it's time to start putting. Eric Spolstra in that upper echelon. Maybe you'll say, well, he's all, he's had some lottery bound teams. Yeah, I think all of those players, all those coaches have. Pat Riley's coaching resume is impeccable, and yet a lot of people forget he went fifteen and sixty seven at one point. Right. Uh, that actually kind of leads me to my next question, uh, or my first question, um, and let's uh, let's get to that. But first, let's talk to our listeners about Rock Auto. Well, Wes, with an ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the parts you might need at a traditional chain storefront. It's so annoying to be there at the counter waiting for that person to order the parts that they might have in stock or to ask you kind of questions where they make you feel dumb and you don't know exactly what's going on. You always feel like you're at their mercy. But why do that? Why go through that process when you have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket? Rockauto.com is a family-owned business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. That's two decades of quality service. You can choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy-to-use site and you'll get everything you need with just a few clicks delivered directly and safely to your door. Why would you spend more for the exact same parts at a store or even worse at a car dealership? RockAuto.com's low prices are the same for everybody. So go to RockAuto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. 
Then go to the section that says, how did you hear about us? And enter Locked On so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. That's rockauto.com. And once you get those parts from rockauto.com, make sure to order whatever you want from DoorDash. Continue safely supporting the restaurants in your community. There are thousands of restaurants that are open for delivery, and DoorDash allows you to continue supporting them now more than ever. Ordering is easy. You can just open the DoorDash app, find your favorite restaurant, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Right now, best of all, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. It's the app that brings you the food you're craving right now and right to your door. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Doc Rivers is no longer the coach of the Clippers. We will talk about what's next for Doc Rivers uh, later on in the show. But as for my next big question, David, similar to what you mentioned with Spolstra and LeBron and the legacies that are at stake there, my, and that, that's sort of the off-the-court question. And mine just takes that dynamic and brings it back to the court. And I want to know how that adjustment battle between LeBron and Spo plays out. And I don't mean to discredit Frank Vogel. He has done a phenomenal job in the postseason. But Spolstra's battle is going to be with LeBron James because we know that these are two basketball geniuses. And whatever adjustments Spo throws at LeBron, because he has made some incredible adjustments in that Milwaukee series and especially in that Boston Celtics series, really just subtle stuff, um, but things that inarguably helped them win that series— and never fully let the Celtics take control or, or even gain momentum in that series, which I thought was really impressive. Uh, what he, those adjustments that he makes against LeBron James and then LeBron's ability uh, to try to figure them out, to me is going to be like the ultimate chess match. Yeah, that's a great point. And I just finished recording a podcast with Anthony Orr and the host of Locked on Lakers, which you totally should check out, as well as Locked on Heat, to get your coverage, your individualized co- coverage for this uh, NBA Finals. But we talked about the adjustments. And honestly, I'm not sure if Frank Vogel or LeBron has anything left in their bag of tricks. Like starting Rajon Rondo, starting you know, KCP, putting Dwight Howard into the starting lineup, all the things that we've seen up to this point. I don't know what else is there to handle. And I I think Eric Spolster has shown, as you pointed out, the willingness to tweak those rotations, to make changes, to already take out two starters in Kendrick Nunn and Myers Leonard and basically banish them to the bench so that you don't see them getting much playing time anymore and, and insert Jay Crowder. And it's unlocked a version of this team that we haven't seen. Now, you also look at Miami's depth. And while Vogel does go a little deeper into the rotations, I think Miami's versatility is... combined with that depth they might go only eight or nine deep but all nine of those players can contribute on both sides of the ball for the most part and i and i think that's a huge factor in in spolstra's favor i know it comes across as homerish but that's my feelings that spo knows how to make those changes how to get the right look i mean butler keeps talking about this that you don't know who's going to rise up for the heat on any given night and given that i think it makes it so difficult to game plan 
for what Miami can do. Because while you might want to limit what Jimmy Butler can do, that doesn't stop Tyler Hero or Goran Dragic or Bam Adebayo or even Andre Iguodala or Duncan Robinson, players that we've all seen go off at various points during the postseason. And I think that's it's a little bit diff- more difficult to game plan no, considering no. Yeah, I, all, I, all I the think, players I think, they have available. I think both teams have sort of seen what the other team is going to do as far as their rotation and their lineups are concerned. Like they're neither team right now is going to roll out a lineup that has they haven't shown yet in the postseason, right? And so I think that's fair. And look, I think Frank Vogel gets a lot of credit for how he's managed his lineups, by the way. And that to me is going to be, you know, even the just the lineup management, who's hot, who does LeBron need with him in this particular moment could be, you know, a big part of this thing. But as far when I'm talking about adjustments, I mean like the other stuff. Just like how and that actually takes me into my next question, which was, what does LeBron do against the zone? Right, that's the kind of stuff like where we saw the Celtics really struggle with the zone, not really know how to attack it. You know, they had some success when Jalen Brown would get really downhill. Well, LeBron just is maybe the best in the league still at getting downhill, and that yeah. seems to be the sort of thing that can break Miami's zone. All right, well, if that's the case, does Miami go back to the wall? Is it the wall 2.0, the one that they rolled out against Giannis? That that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Is that X's and O's gamesmanship? The okay, does LeBron start using pick and rolls with like with Alex Caruso and the the heat put Jimmy Butler on Caruso so that when LeBron tries to get the switch it's it's Butler that ends up on on LeBron uh, well then how does LeBron counter that right how do and and do they start having you know a screen for the screener action to get Butler out of the play completely that's the sort of stuff where LeBron is going to be able to dictate terms on a possession to possession basis where Spo just because he's the head coach and not on the floor with the ball in his hands, won't be able to do it that as, as quickly. Although I would say Spo, more than any coach in the postseason, has made the quickest adjustments. And so I think that could be very fascinating where Spolster has been ahead of Budenholzer and Nate McMillan and Brad Stevens in every ser- series so far. But just because he's the coach and not the player with the ball in his hands, I don't think that he can be ahead of LeBron. So how does Spo... Uh, coach when he's having to react I think a little bit more that to me is going to be fascinating um, one thing you mentioned there though as far as how these rosters stack up there, there's a conversation happening about who's got like the you oh. know the best players in this series and how they stack up and like LeBron and Anthony Davis are the two best players and I think everybody would agree that in some order it's Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and that's your top four but then how many more players do you go until you get to the best Lakers player when you compare these two rosters I did this exercise, David. I think I'm like nine or ten deep before you get to Rajon Rondo and KCP. Like I've got Dragic, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and Andre Iguodala all as more impactful players than Rondo and KCP. It's a it's a good exercise, and we also discussed this on that podcast. So I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I think you know the, again back to that point that I was making. Regardless of the talent disparity, the fact that on Miami side, we've already seen their ability to get one player to go off on any given night. And and from that point, then you could say that that player becomes the second best player of the series. You're always going to put LeBron arguably as the best player in the series. But if you have another 32 point outing from Bam Adebayo, like he did in game six or a 37 point outing from Tyler here, like he did in game four, is that, does that make him the second best player on in the series? No, but it makes him the second best player on any given night. And then that edge skews heavily in Miami's favor. Consider you not only have the second best player, but you probably have players 
three, four, five, six, etc. Uh, as far as the, the best, most talented player in the series. So it's a lot. And, and that kind of brings me to a question that I didn't have before, but in having this conversation, I think is a good one, which is, is the key to stopping this series then finding a way to not shut down but limit LeBron James and then see whether or not Anthony Davis is the person that can carry the Lakers to victory. Because given all the things that we're talking about, about LeBron is such a good zone buster, is a player who can find so many perimeter shooters as well as attack the basket, and sometimes even on occasion get that perimeter shot to fall. Do you trust that Eric Spolster, given his experience coaching LeBron, and his success during the regular season, of course, in being able to maybe not stop, but again, limit what LeBron can do effectively. Is that the key to Miami's chances of success is being able to limit LeBron to some degree and then trust that Anthony Davis isn't going to be your killer, that nobody else on that, again, bad, maybe not bad, but let's say not great Lakers roster is going to be a difference maker in the series? I think if you look at any series that LeBron has lost, he's been frustrated in that series. He's, you've had guys like Kawhi Leonard thrown at him. You've got you, Kevin Durant Iguodala. problems, Andre Iguodala. And that was one of my questions is, does Jimmy Butler guard LeBron for mm. the whole game? And if that's, if that's so, do they, is that like a man-to-man? Do they do this like man-to-man zone hybrid where Jimmy Butler is guarding LeBron and then the rest of this thing is in zone? Do they throw Andre Iguodala at him too? Do you stagger Jimmy Butler and Iguodala's minutes as long as LeBron is on the court? But specifically, like if Jimmy Butler can guard LeBron and frustrate him the way he did, David, in 2015, mm. uh, play, when he was playing for the Bulls, he held LeBron, held, quote-unquote, LeBron, to 26.2 points per game on 40% shooting. That's about as good as you're going to do against LeBron. And if you can get something close to that, where if, if LeBron is shooting closer to 40% than he is 55%, then I think you've, you, you're on the right track. I'll say this again. The Lakers should be and will be favorites in this series. But there is a path for Miami to win. And part of that path is Jimmy Butler limiting, quote-unquote, LeBron James the same way guys like Iguodala and Durant and Kawhi Leonard have in the past, where you're not shutting them down, but you're just making it uh, more difficult than it usually is for him. That's a great point. Um, Can I bring up a question, though? Absolutely. Okay. It's similar to uh, that question, too, as far as Anthony Davis, but can Bam Adebayo play Anthony Davis to a draw? Because if that's the case, it's a similar, it's sort of a similar situation, scenario as to what you laid out. If you can sort of limit LeBron and force Anthony Davis and basically, you know, Contavious Caldwell-Pope to win the series, then that's a path forward, Right. But if you can at least, if Bam and Anthony Davis could play to a draw, and LeBron, and maybe even you bother LeBron a little bit, then you're really forcing these other guys to step up. And I think that is a major step, uh, a major path forward for the Heat uh, to actually winning this thing. Bam Adebayo has been so good, and Anthony yes. Davis has been a superstar in these playoffs. Um, I'll just, I don't know that you're going to keep Anthony Davis from being a superstar, but we've seen in the past that he could put up. You know, he, he could disappear at times. I think that's more just him playing the center position or a power forward position or whatever, not being the lead ball handler. Um, but he's also not played guy a, a guy like Bam Adebayo yet. Nikola Jokic was phenomenal, obviously. one of, MVP of the postseason, you could argue. But wasn't limiting Anthony Davis on the defensive end, right? Bam Adebayo could bother Anthony Davis on the defensive end and obviously get points. Like, he scored 30 points in that closeout game. If he is playing like that 
and and adding enough um you know de- on the defensive end to to bother Anthony Davis that's going to be a huge development for Miami I absolutely think that's an advantage in Miami's favor I, again to your point you're not shutting down AD he's a very good scorer he's going to get foul calls he is a superstar in many ways Having said all that, P.J. Tucker and Paul Millsap were the biggest challenges to him up to this point. Solid, stout defenders in their own regards. They're not Bam Adebayo at 23 years old. They're not guys who can guard one through five, who can get physical, who can match the level of athleticism that Anthony Davis presents. I think if if you're a Lakers fan and you're saying, oh, that's clearly a matchup that Los Angeles can dominate, you probably haven't seen Adebayo at all this season, and you definitely haven't seen him during the course of the, of the playoffs because he has been absolutely phenomenal. And maybe a big strength of his is being able to shut down guys like Kemba Walker or uh, Chris Middleton to some degree. I mean, whatever it's taken, but I mean, his job at limiting what Giannis Antetokounmpo can do you know, a player who I think many people would say is better than Anthony Davis and, and has all the same physical tools that an Anthony Davis does. I think that's a strength of Bam's, and I think it's going to be a strength of Miami's moving forward in the series. Like, I think that's a huge edge in Miami's favor. So, again, not shutting down Davis, but harassing him, perhaps getting him into foul trouble, stripping the ball from him, and forcing him out to the perimeter. Uh, those are all things, I think those are great aspects of Bam's defensive abilities and why he's going to have a huge series against the Lakers. Now, on the other side of that, whether or not he's going to be able to score enough to be a difference maker, we saw in Game 6 he had a huge night. I'm not sure if that's going to be the case because he's going to be exerting so much energy on the defensive end. Well, then, you know, Bam can obviously play up on Anthony Davis in the way that Nikola Jokic couldn't, right? And so Anthony Davis is not going to be able to take advantage of all this space out on the perimeter the way that he was against Denver. And, and you know, he could put the ball on the floor, but Bam's going to be able to stick with him, right? There are very few... That's what makes Anthony Davis so special, is that even if you can get out on the perimeter and guard him, his first step and his length and his explosiveness is such that he'll just blow by you on the closeout. Well, Bam is as good in the le- as good as anyone in the league at, you know, doing both, at getting out there on the perimeter, but also being stout enough and, and slowing you down and just staying with you and, you know, maybe you know, getting a chase down block or something like that. He's so athletic that you're not going to be able to do that to him. But on the flip side of that, too, one of Bam's strengths is being able to get out at the, in the high post or on the perimeter and facilitate from there. And mm-hmm. that's death for other big men because they can't get out and challenge him because then he'll just do a fake dribble handoff or something like that and blow by you, whatever it's mm-hmm. going to be. He's not going to have that kind of space for Anthony Davis. I'm wondering if Bam's going to be able to facilitate the way he has in these postseasons with... with, with uh, with Anthony Davis just blanketing him the way that he can with that length and that athleticism. It's going to be fascinating. I think both of these guys are going to deal with more problems than they ever have um, in this series than they have at least in this postseason. Let's wrap up our biggest questions and talk about Doc Rivers next. This is Locked on NBA. If you haven't already, now is the perfect time to hit that subscribe button to get episodes of Locked on NBA automatically in your feed every day. Uh, I've got a couple of lingering questions, David. I don't know if you do either, but let's just get through them quickly. What's your last question if you have anything? Uh, I just was wondering, you know, will this series usher in a new era of basketball? And again, I know it's a bigger picture. It just You look at the, the fast, last few champions, whether it's the big three era uh, as far as retooling teams and how you build a group, et cetera, how you even build around a core 
big three, you know, the way that Miami did, to the San Antonio Spurs and the beautiful game, to, of course, the Golden State Warriors and the, the proliferation of the, the three-point shot. And you wonder, looking at this series, I mean, are, are any of these going to usher in a new era? I'm not sure. Maybe it's the Bam at a bio. Maybe it's the Anthony Davis factor. Maybe it's seeing the playmaking big reach mm-hmm. another level that we haven't in prior, in prior series. But, like, these series, these finals games always seem to define the next era or at least the next few years of basketball. So I'm kind of curious to see what might manifest as a result of this. I, I think, first of all, the playmaking big is a huge deal, and you're going to see teams go out and try to find their version of that to some degree this, this offseason. I also think that the zone defense is going to be a major thing that comes out of this these playoffs. What Miami was able to do against Giannis, completely frustrate him the way, and make him look like something other than an MVP, when it was almost mm-hmm. impossible to make to, for anybody to do that throughout the regular season. Uh, I think that stands out to a lot of coaches. And then limiting Boston's offense the way that they did and just bothering it and just saying, like, wow, even Brad Stevens with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker and, and Marcus Smart going, getting hot every other game could not figure out, could not crack this zone for more, for more than half a quarter. They couldn't do it. And I, I, I think you're going to see a lot of coaches start implementing the zone a little bit more, and we could end up seeing Eric Spolstra's defense have a similar effect to what Tom Thibodeau did with uh, you know basically clearing out the weak side and, and just incredible amounts of help defense. Uh, what was that like ten years ago when was when the defensive coordinator with Boston? We could see yeah. a similar like, and then basically that was every defense in the NBA for you know almost a decade. I think ice, we're going to ice, ice, ice. Right. I think we're going to start seeing teams mixing up their looks a lot, even if they don't use zone to the, at the same amount as the Heat do. I think you're going to start seeing teams understand that they need to mix up their zone, their, their their coverages a lot more. If only because in the playoffs, if you have all these different kinds of coverages at your disposal, it's just going to make you that much more versatile, that much more unpredictable, and that much more dangerous in the postseason. I think that's what we're going to see coming from this. Um, all right, mine is a lot more simple. It's just the three-point shooting thing, and I just wanted to bring up these stats. Can the Lakers keep up their three-point shooting through these po- this postseason? Um, they they are making thirty one point nine percent, or I'm sorry, thirty five and a half percent of their threes uh, in the postseason versus thirty four point nine percent in the regular season, which doesn't seem like a big difference. But then if you consider where that production is coming from, where it's guys like Rajon Rondo, who you if he's shooting forty five percent on two point nine three point attempts per game, this is not Quinn Cook going out there or some. You know, three-point specialist going out there and making threes. If you're getting that sort of production from Rondo, who can give you everything he gives you as a playmaker and as a defender, which he's been a great uh, defender in these playoffs, that's a huge boon for them. And then that same production from a guy like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who has been on fire in these playoffs, has been so good for the Lakers. Um, do they continue doing what they've been doing? And on the flip side of that, can Miami go back and find that three-point shooting? Because despite beating Boston, they were terrible from three-point range in that series. They went from 38%, David, in the first two series to 32% from three-point range in the conference finals. That's two fewer three-point attempts per game. And I I think the biggest difference was the regression of Jay Crowder. Can Jay Crowder go back to maybe not scorching hot levels from three-point range, but better than 25% from three-point range? Can he get back to about career average? Can he get back to like 30 35%? That would be a huge development for Miami because that gets him to – that makes him – be able to stay on the floor for longer stretches. And I think he could be an important body against a bigger Lakers team. Now, 
all good points. I think Miami does a better job of defending the three-point shot than the other teams that Los Angeles has faced prior to them. So mm-hmm. I think that's, again, another edge that Miami might be able to incorporate. And as far as the regression in Miami shooting, you have to give credit to the Celtics defenders. They've got a number of long wing players that can interrupt, break up that shot. I mean, you've got all NBA defenders in Tatum and Smart and Jalen Brown, who does not get nearly enough credit for being as good as he is. So I I think that was a big part of what was limiting some of Miami's open looks. They forced Goran Dragic to take bad shots. They kept... Duncan Robinson from being as aggressive as he might want to be, uh, what might have been uh, during a series like that. I think that's going to change, to be honest with you. I think we'll see Robinson probably shooting a lot more. And maybe I'm wrong here, but I actually see a big series from Kelly Olynyk in the works, or at least a guy who can contribute off the bench. Another strength of Miami's is having that kind of strength, uh, that depth, that versatility. You can bring a guy like Olynyk, who was a non-factor against the Celtics in their long, versatile wings, and I think he can stretch the floor out against a JaVale McGee or a Dwight Howard, depending on who's in the game. And I think that's an edge in Miami's mm. favor because he's a playmaker, because he can put the ball down. I think he can find a way to make plays for others and, and again, facilitate from the perimeter. So I think it's a, a huge advantage for Miami. Yeah, it'll, if look, if the Lakers start playing JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard serious minutes, I just I, I, I take everything that I said uh, nice about Frank Vogel back. But, um, all right, let's move on to um, Doc Rivers, this situation. Uh, the, he has officially parted ways or gotten fired by the Clippers. We're recording this. We're still trying to figure out exactly what happened there. All we know is he is no longer the head coach of the Clippers. Uh, he posted a uh, statement, you know, the typical thank yous to the fans. We were really close, but it was disappointing. And that's all we have right now at the time of us recording this, David. However, I think we can go from here with a... Uh... Well, first of all, let me ask you. Do you think Doc Rivers deserved to, to be out of the head coaching job of the Clippers? Uh, I don't, actually. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily on him to make this team better. I, I just... I think there's limitations to the roster that I don't think he's responsible for. Yeah. I think there was a lack of chemistry there. And as you pointed out a number of times, I think uh, obviously there's a duplication in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George's games that doesn't necessarily translate into on-court success. And given that and perhaps some of the depth issues that you've also been very critical of, and, and rightfully so, I think this isn't necessarily on Rivers. I think he did the best job possible, and it just wasn't enough perhaps, but... I think some changes to that roster, some consistency. I think this is a bold move for the Clippers to go in a different direction. And maybe it's the right one. Maybe it's Steve Kerr being named head coach of the Golden State Warriors. I just don't see it. I don't think there's that kind of talent on this roster currently where it's just going to be a cultured shift that's going to be enough to ignite them into becoming a dynastic team. I, I, that's just not, yeah. not – maybe it's my feeling. I, I, don't, I don't know who the replacement is that's better than Doc Rivers. I think Doc – you know, the, the fact that he's blown so many 3-1 leaves is – a blemish on his resume, but it's not. It doesn't make him worse than. I just don't know that that means that there's somebody better out there that can coach this team. And the other thing I'll say about this, Doc Rivers is so good with the media. He and he yes. he wins a lot of fans in the media with how good he is and how just open and honest and just how he's got these really just like these answers ready. Just he, he writes your story for you. Like his quotes are just so perfect all the time. He just makes your job easier as a reporter. And I do think that he has gained, like I said, fans and, and the benefit of the doubt. 
But he's got a great coaching record, and he's proven time and time again to be a good coach. Not a great coach, but a good coach. And it's hard to even find that in today's NBA. And just, But with the media stuff, it also takes a lot of pressure off of guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who Kawhi has never cared for the media and doesn't really want to be the mouthpiece of the team. And Paul George has done a little bit of that over his career, but I think, you know, from being with Kawhi and the Clippers this year, he's kind of, you know, receded into the into the bushes a little bit as far as, you know, being in front of the media is concerned. And so if you you got to get an I thought Doc Rivers was maybe their biggest defendant and their biggest proponent, and he never threw them under the bus. He never complained about the load management thing. I think they're kind of doing him dirty here, to be honest, because he kind of he took the bullet for in a, in a lot of senses for this team and for guys like Kawhi and Paul George who just don't want to deal with the responsibilities that typically come with being star players of their caliber. Uh, I don't know that you're going to get another coach who could do it with the the um, the way with the grace that Doc Rivers did it, and and that's why I think that he's going to kind of get in the raw end of the deal here. And that said. The Clippers would not have made this move without Kawhi or Paul George's okay. Specifically, Kawhi's okay. Everything they have done has catered to Kawhi Leonard right now. And it shows a lack of awareness on Kawhi Leonard's part to okay this move from Doc Rivers. Uh, yes, unless unless there was some actual friction between the two that we were never privy to. Fair enough. We're still getting all the—we don't know the details. It might have been Doc Rivers saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Enough of this grace. I'm out of here. Um, that said— where do we think Doc Rivers ends up next? Because he's going somewhere, and there's a lot of coaching openings still. If he's still interested in coaching, and again, that's a possibility. I mean, maybe maybe he wants to spend time with family. Who knows? He could take I, a break. Yeah, he could. Uh, he could replace uh, Reggie Miller. Could he end up as the Rockets coach, coaching James Harden and Russell wow. Westbrook? I love that. Wouldn't that be I, I, a story? Yeah, I think it could work there. Um, I wish I had something better than that, but I think you just aced this quiz. Thank you so much. I think he would. it would be such a storyline for him. Those Clippers and Rockets teams that just competed for being the most disappointing team in the Western Conference for years, for, them to, for Doc Rivers to just go over there. And then what if Mike D'Antoni ends up with the Clippers? What if they just trade coaches? This is what I'm. We've seen it before, right? I I I could swear we've seen that before. I I can't recall exactly where, but I know it's happened at some point. I I Uh, think Philadelphia, obviously, a great destination with their talent. Even we're even if we're hearing that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid don't really like each other, to no great surprise, uh, it it seems like um, that's still a a pretty good destination. Probably Ty Lue's job to lose at this point. I don't know what 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 else is available. He's not going to go for a rebuilding job in Oklahoma City. No, no, no. He needs star. You need to pair Doc Rivers up with star players. There's that that much we know about him, right? He's not a Indiana. Rebuilder. He's what, not an who's, Indiana who's guy. Who's their star player? <laughs> oh, Victor Oladipo wants out. So I, I guess I wouldn't that's even say him. he's a star player. I mean, I'm talking about like Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Kawhi, Paul George, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. Like those, you know, MVP level players is what we need to give Doc Rivers I think Houston's the answer they've got James Harden I think that's the perfect answer um, there you go there's no other hey, uh, isn't his son on that isn't he on that Rockets no. roster too this is Austin Rivers is to Dwayne Wade as Doc Rivers is to Jimmy Butler 
I think that's what what's happening here. Um, no, that's great. We'll see what happens with Doc Rivers. We're still learning the details on everything. The NBA Finals start Wednesday. Keep it tuned in to Locked on NBA every day, every week, uh, throughout the rest of the finals and throughout the offseason. Remember, listen to and subscribe to Locked on NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thank you to Rock Auto and DoorDash for sponsoring today's episode. If you have some time, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. 